Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in here to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. We are audio only on a Tuesday. Don't blame us. Blame YouTube. But that's okay because it's going to be a fantastic program. We've got breaking news this morning in the world of American soccer. We will address that momentarily. Coming up on today's program, Commissioner of the North American Soccer League, Bill Peterson, in just a couple of minutes, as a matter of fact, means we're going to have to rush through the news, but I'm absolutely fine with that. Bill's always a good interview. Looking forward to that chat. We will try to squeeze in some other topics, perhaps uh, European topics, a little bit later in the show. But for the time being, there's your schedule. Let's dive in. Let's get straight to the news so that we make time for Bill Peterson. The Premier League is set to announce a 4.4 billion pound TV rights package. Uh, this is 6.6 billion dollars if you're playing at home. The Premier League continues to get richer. Among the uh, suitors, obviously BT Sport and uh, Sky Sports and various other networks, Discovery Channel supposedly in the mix from what I read. Not sure exactly how that would manifest in the U.S., but there you go. 6.6 billion dollars into the Premier League coffers. And if you look at the breakdown, I saw this uh, graphic courtesy of the Daily Mail of all places early to, earlier today. Bayern Munich makes 36.9 or made 36.9 million uh, pounds from their TV deal. Sorry, euros from their TV deal last year. Meanwhile, the lowest team in the Premier League, Cardiff City, made 74.5 million euros. There you go. There's your inequity in European football. Just goes to show you how rich the Premier League is right now. Even the small clubs are making more than some of the biggest teams on the continent. Uh, here in this graphic as well, the, the, the disparity in Spain, and we'll have to talk about that perhaps later on. The United States U-20s have their draw for the World Cup. Uh, they are drawn into Group A with New Zealand, the hosts, Ukraine, and Myanmar. This is a very kind group to the United States U-20s. Remember, last time around they had an incredibly difficult group, so this is a nice a bit of relief for Tab Ramos and company as they'll head down to New Zealand to take part in that World Cup later on this year. We have Premier League games today, speaking of the world's richest league. Liverpool and Spurs with uh, Raheem Sterling to miss that game. Arsenal and Leicester. Now, I'm still not sure what's going on with Nigel Pearson. Is he the manager? Is he not? I'm assuming he'll be on the sideline today. Something about censure for his uh, his behavior on the sideline, but no actual FA charges. I I'm not even sure. Sunderland and QPR also on the docket. And Hull and Aston Villa for you, uh, for those of you with a bit of a masochistic streak. The Philadelphia Union have signed center back Stephen Vittoria on loan from Benfica. They were forced to send allocation money to the Vancouver Whitecaps because the Whitecaps had, quote unquote, right of first refusal. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know what happened here, but apparently the Whitecaps offered Vittoria a contract or some sort of deal. And in order to sign him, the Union had to send a compensation the Whitecaps way. He's 6'5. He was born in Toronto. He has played for the Portuguese youth national teams in the past, and he'll bring some stability to the back line for Philadelphia. FIFA presidential candidates have all been named, the ones that have been vetted and cleared based on uh, their nominations. You have Sepp Blatter, obviously, Michael Van Prague from uh, Holland, Luis Figo, the Portuguese great, and Prince Ali bin Al Hussein, who you know the United States has nominated for FIFA president, a very good breakdown of what that might mean over at SI.com. Grant Wall spelling out why the United States backing Prince Ali is a big deal. 
And in American soccer news, and this is what broke this morning, USL Pro has rebranded itself as Simply USL. They've introduced a new logo, and they have stated their intention to challenge for second division status in the United States. And that is top of mind here as we get ready to break and bring in the commissioner of the nominal second division in the United States, a league that wants first division status, the NASL. Bill Peterson joins us in just a second here on Soccer Morning, Backheel.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go on the phone line with me now, the commissioner of the NASL, Mr. Bill Peterson. We've had him on numerous times in the past. Always good to have him on, especially ahead of a new season in the NASL. Bill, how are you, sir? Good morning, Jason. I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to have you. Your 20, 2015 season rapidly approaching. I believe uh, April 4th is kickoff day for the NASL as you look ahead to 2015 what are the you know from a league perspective what are the focus where's your focus this season in terms of uh in terms of the fan base in terms of club uh, operation what what's the main goal I think a lot of the focus in the offseason from the front offices of our teams has been on really expanding their marketing activities and their PR activities uh we've got a league that's very competitive it's fun to watch it's about spreading that message to get more and more people to come in and see it and uh, and to keep coming back. So I think you've seen a lot of, of, of focus from the teams in, in those areas. And by all indications, they're doing a great job. So uh, we look forward to that. And then obviously, you know, on the field, it's just been really an impressive effort, in, in my opinion, uh, from our coaches and technical staff really working hard to upgrade their roster. So I think it's shaped up to be another great season. How is the How is the player pool changed? For NASL, not even just from last year, but over the course of your existence, the last four or five seasons, what's the difference between NASL and 2015 and when you guys really launched things uh, a couple years back? Well, the teams have become more mature in their in their technical side, so they have more people scouting. They have there more teams have technical directors now. The coaches uh, have have a great uh, sense of where their rosters are and what they need to improve them. So I think there's more of a focus on how do I improve the team I have? Uh, and it's becoming, you know, more specific to the type of players they want in their systems. And then obviously there's plenty of players, both in this country and around the world. And they're making better efforts to get out and find those players that can come back and improve their roster. So overall, you see the quality of play. You see the competition between the clubs continuing to improve. And you know, that's just great for the fans. There certainly seems to be a lot of excitement in uh, northeastern Florida with the Jacksonville Ar- Armada. That's the team that you guys have entering the league in 2015. What, uh, what's going to make the Armada a special, uh, a special phenomenon there in Jacksonville? Well, again, it's a combination of a lot of things, but I had a chance to watch their, their preseason opener Saturday, and, I mean, it was impressive to have 14,000 people there for a preseason game. Um, the stadium... Was, was rocking from the beginning to the end. I mean, there were still 14,000 people there in the final whistle, which surprised me. Um, so I think, you know, we always knew uh, Jacksonville was going to be a good franchise or a good club for us, uh, and that the fan base was here. Uh, but I was, I was even surprised at, uh, 
the, the level of uh, affinity for the team already in the community. And people are just talking about it constantly. Uh, the media is covering it, doing a great job. And, and, and you got to give credit to, to Mark Frisch and, and staff he's put together. They've worked very hard, uh, both on the football side and on the business side, uh, to launch this team, launch it properly. It looks like they have a competitive team uh, this year. We'll see once we get into the regular season. Uh, but, boy, a lot of credit. And I think you're seeing more of that as we bring teams on. You know, Indianapolis last year and Ottawa, new teams that are coming into the league really understand, I think, the dynamics of building out uh, a proper professional side, and, and they're doing a good job. With All right, Bill, i got to ask you and do this every single time. I drive by... <laughs> I drive by the, the proposed location of the stadium for the Virginia Cavalry on a regular basis. I would love to see that stadium there. I would love to see that team playing there. What's the current status? I get this question all the time when you're coming on. Yeah, you know, uh, unfortunately, the status hasn't changed. So there's a group of uh, interested potential owners uh, that are working on uh, you know, the, the, the plans that have to be in place in order to put a team together and, and actually gain admission to the league. Uh, is the process moving slower than, than we wish? Maybe yes, but yeah, you know, it's not easy to put something together like this. And, uh, they're good people. Uh, we're looking forward to introducing them to the league at some point. They just have to get some work done up there, uh, and move it, move the process along. So, uh, we're all hopeful, uh, that that'll happen sometime soon, but, uh, there's really no timeline for it right now. And what's the timeline on Oklahoma City? Is that still a 2016 launch? That's what we're focused on. We'll see. You know, these things, uh, they're, they're never as easy as one would think. And uh, there's a lot of work that has to go into it and a lot of things that have to be uh, agreed upon before we decide to go forward. And, and again, it's another group that's working very diligently, uh, put together what is a, a really super plan. Um, and, and hopefully they'll get that done in, in short order and we'll be able to go. But, uh, you know, until, until everything's finished, we really can't project when a team's going to play or if they're going to play, uh, all the work has to be done. We're really, we're really being patient. We're being diligent in this process and make sure that when we launch an NASL team, it's going to be here for a long, long time. Now, the NASL has had um, several players over the course of the last couple of years go and represent their countries uh, for various teams. But to have Miguel Ibarra from, the Minnes- from Minnesota United get a start and play well for the United States on Sunday against Panama, what does that mean for your league, and, and potentially what does it mean for Miguel Ibarra? Well, I mean, for Miguel, uh, you know, he deserves all the credit. The kid is obviously talented. He's a hard worker, and he's taken that hard work and put himself in, in a really unique position, a great position for him. Uh, we've got a lot of confidence that he's just going to continue to get better and contribute more and more to that club uh, because he's just a great person and, again, a hard, hard worker. For us and for Minnesota, obviously, we get to enjoy <laughs> the spoils of his work. I mean, we were all very proud uh, to watch him last weekend. And, and uh, you know, I think it just helps us along our, our continued sort of growth uh, route that we're taking. And more people hear about the league, more people understand that we have great players, not just Miguel, but we have a league full of great players. And uh, and they love to play good soccer. And it's very competitive. So, um, you know, again, very proud of his effort. Uh, he deserves all the credit for it. And, um, you know, we're all going to sit back and enjoy watching them play. Do you believe that there are more U.S. men's national team caliber players in NASL right at this moment? I think there could be. You know, that's a decision that's up to Jurgen. I'm not the player personnel person, but uh, I believe there are. And, um, you know, I think that's just going to continue to be uh, an outlet for them to find players. Our teams are now focusing 
a lot of effort on the development side, identifying young players in their area, bringing them up through the system, and they're going to continue to find players like Miguel and, and develop those guys, and they're going to end up playing on the national team. And, you know, that's what's great about having this league here is it's, it's contributing to the entire cycle uh, of professional soccer. Well, what, speaking of that, what is the state of academies across NASL? Certainly the Cosmos are, are in the news with Raul going to lead their academy. What's the, what's the state with other, other clubs, and how, how soon do you think those academies will be bearing fruit? Well, that's hard to predict uh, how soon they'll work, but what we, what we have seen change is uh, our owners have asked us to come back to them with multiple uh, options on the best way to structure uh, academies and reserve teams. And so for the first time uh, in my two years here, uh, there's a real focus from ownership that, you know, we feel the time is right. We know it's a component that's important. Uh, for our clubs and for the entire system, uh, let's start digging into what's the best way to do this. Uh, but you see more resources and more thought, more conversation. So uh, I think over the next 12, 18 months, uh, you're going to see a lot of, of uh, movement, if you will, uh, in that area. Bill, you've been on this show and in many other places talking about the aspirations of NESL, but do you know that the league does not operate in a vacuum? And there was uh, news this morning that USL Pro has rebranded itself in a new logo. We talked about its growth, doubling the number of teams in a couple of seasons here. Obviously, MLS, MLS's partnership is a major part of that. They've also stated that they intend to apply for second division status. What, what impact does that potentially have on you and, and, and your league and, and what the, uh, the goals may be in the immediate future? You know, I don't know if it has an impact or not. I think that's a question you really have to ask U.S. soccer. They're the ones responsible for this, this structured system that we have. You know, we focus on playing great soccer. To me, you know, you're a professional league, you're a reserve league, or you're an amateur league. And, you know, I don't know without some sort of competitive uh, process where you can move up or down, promotion relegation, that it makes all that much sense to call somebody Division One, Division Two, or Division Three for that matter. So, uh, I think U.S. Soccer will have to, to step in and, and sort of decide what they would like to see uh, going forward and, and try to make some sense out of this. I mean, the good news is the sport's growing, professional soccer's growing. Uh, MLS has done a great job of creating a reserve system for themselves. We're looking to do the same thing. That's going to give more players opportunities to develop, more players opportunities to play. So. Ultimately, this is all good. What the what the sort of you know structure is called, or how how it's organized, that's really that's really a question for you. Well, there are certainly uh, standards that are that have been put in place by U.S. Soccer. This obviously uh, originally came out during the the split between uh, what eventually became the NASL and the USL clubs a couple years back. Is that is that something that you look at, um, you know, regularly in terms of, of your structure? And how do you view, I mean, without knowing, uh, obviously, the books and, and everything involved, but how do you view USL Pro and their ability to, to meet that standard? I've never really put any thought into it. So we, 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 we focus on ourselves and growing ourselves. We don't focus on, on this label or this, this tiered structure. Uh, because our fans don't care about it. You know, uh, our fans uh, care that their team is going to play and going to win and uh, play great soccer, and that's all. You know, that's what we control. Okay. We don't control the the structured system. That's sure. what the, it's a question for U.S. soccer. Well, really, what, uh, what they want to see happen here. Let me frame it slightly differently. Then, uh, in a hypothetical situation where USL 
get second division status as determined by U.S. Soccer, who, as you said, is the decision maker here. Does that leave you and NASL in a difficult position, or does it matter if you don't have a label, which you've maintained has not been an issue? Yeah, I just don't know that it'd be an issue. I think I think they got to be careful that they don't create more confusion, right? I mean, you have a league that has 12 reserve teams in it, six affiliated teams in it. I think that's a great thing, by the way. Uh, is that going to be called something the same as what we're doing, which is playing for a championship? Uh, if that's so, I find that you know to be uh, slightly odd, but uh, we'll see. I haven't, I haven't uh, had time to speak with anybody at U.S. Soccer about this. I don't know what their opinion is. Uh, I'm hearing it at the same time you are, and really don't don't have an opinion at this time. Okay, fair enough. And what's the since you you went in that direction a little bit? What's the relationship between NASL? You, you know, we talk about the the growing U.S. Soccer uh, uh, system and, and the teams and, and it's great to, I, I, all I care about is teams if, if they if they start up that they exist and they stay extant and they, they continue to play and that gives the fans a, an opportunity and an outlet to enjoy their soccer but what's the relationship between NASL and, and USL we, we you and I have talked about the relationship between MLS in the past what's the relationship down the table there well I think it's similar um, you know I, I haven't worked with the USL guys like I have with on and I don't to them as often as I do with Don. Uh, but, you know, if you get to the team level, the coaches, the technical directors, the team presidents, those guys are all constantly working together. We're playing a number of their teams in the preseason. You know, it takes a lot of coordination, and you know, we respect the job they're doing. Um, but in a sense, because they lean towards being this reserve league, we don't have as much interaction with them as we might with, with MLS okay. and U.S. soccer. Fair enough. In terms of the interaction with MLS and just being part of a market that includes MLS and in a couple of places, well, certainly in Florida, you'll have, you'll, you have several teams that are uh, around uh, an MLS club in, in Orlando City, and you have New York uh, in, in terms of the Cosmos. What would, a, what would an MLS work stoppage mean for NASL, or how would you... Uh, how would you view that? Would it have any advantages to your league, or do you would you view that as something co- completely separate? I think I think look, I think it's a negative if there's a work stoppage. It doesn't help professional soccer. Uh, no scenario really helps us. We're not we're not involved directly or indirectly with it. Uh, we hope they both both sides find you know reasonable ground and and something they're both happy with, and they continue to play. But. If there's any sort of work stoppage, it's just going to be a negative uh, on the sport, and yeah, we don't want to see that. Well, let's, let's let's get this resolved, get them out on the field, open up on opening day, and, and let's all play. As you enter 2015, obviously part of the continued work of NASL is to get your product out there, and that doesn't just mean selling tickets to get people in the stadium, but it means getting your product on television, which we know. I just talked about the Premier League and their six point six billion dollar package they're going to sell. Bill, how does how does NASL continue to to improve in that area, and what what's on tap for 2015? Well, you'll see a lot of uh, improved production from our teams uh, for sure. Um, all the teams have been focused in the off season of, of increasing or improving their production value and production levels. Uh, for the first time, you're going to see teams now broadcasting away games back into their home market. So we continue to take steps in building this to where we want to go. Uh, the fact is we have to get to a point where we have a critical mass of teams. I don't know exactly what that number is. Is it 14? Is it 16? Uh, but we're going to continue to be patient and, and build the, the, the infrastructure, if you will, for a broadcast product. And when we get to a point where uh, a broadcaster is willing to value our, our our 
um, media uh, where we think it should be, then we'll enter into a deal. And until then, we're going to keep working behind the scenes and make it strong, make it something that our fans in their local areas uh, can enjoy and the people who follow us on the streams can enjoy. Um, but we're not going to jump into something that's a bad deal and then pay for it for years in the future. Uh, what's the current what's the current involvement of, of traffic sports in NASL? Uh, uh, they obviously owned a couple of teams as recently a couple of years ago, but I, I'm a little unclear on that. And I know that they are uh, involved in, in a Canadian bid for a World Cup. What's the situation with traffic sports? Uh, traffic owns the Carolina Railhawks, and uh, and they uh, their their agency uh, represents us on some sponsorship sales, and that's the uh, extent of their involvement right now. They're still good partners. Uh, very much uh, uh, supporters of this league, but uh, their role has been reduced over the last few years. Bill, one of the things that you uh, that, that you talk about regularly is the potential for promotion and relegation in the United States. And while uh, the idea certainly has merit, there's lots of questions over whether or not the structure would support it. But if you were in a position as an MLS owner at the moment, is that something that you would consider? I mean, would you be of the mind that, that it could potentially benefit your team individually over the course of the next 20, 25 years? I think if you take a long view at this, and we really want to engage all 400 million people in every corner of this country and Canada, then you're going to have to have a system that allows teams to move up the ladder. It's not about relegation. Everybody focuses on relegation. It's about the ascension and having the hope that your club one day could play in the top league. I lived in Europe for 10 years, and, and you learn that very quickly, that the real benefit of promotion relocation is the hope of ascension. You can go to any small town there, and they have a soccer club, and somewhere in that club they believe that if they play well enough and invest enough into their team, they too could move up. Now, the reality might be slightly different, but the hope is there, and that's what drives everybody um, really becoming uh, hardcore fans of the sport. We've got a big country. It's it's too big to have a limited number of professional teams. We've got to have a pyramid that gives everybody in every small town the hope that they too can be at the top one day. All right. So I, I mean, look, every every league in the world, every system in the world that uh, pyramid that involves promotion relegation has standards, and and we won't go over those standards and what they might mean for some of these smaller clubs in the United States. Obviously, there's a level that you have to reach. Um, but if if that was to happen. Uh, would that mean dissolving or, or somehow fundamentally changing the way that NASL operates or MLS operates or USL? Because you, you, essentially right now you have, uh, you have parts that don't fit together. Sure. No, there have to be some fundamental changes. And, you know, look, this is not a, a high priority for us today, but I do believe the people who are, are the caretakers today of professional soccer uh, probably ought to at least start to entertain the ideas and start to explore the framework of what might work. You know, I understand the MLS position. They've invested a lot of money, the same as some of our owners are investing a lot of money. They don't want that to necessarily go away. So, you know, the, the simple question is, well, how would you replace that? How do you make this even stronger from a financial standpoint for everybody by introducing this concept? That's not going to happen uh, overnight. But I do believe that it's time people start focusing on how could it work rather than it's never going to work. In terms of the investment here, and I'll, I'll leave you with this question, Bill. Uh, in terms of the, the investment both in your league and what you know of, of MLS, do you believe that there's a generation of, of 
individuals who are interested in soccer who are willing to consider that because that seems fundamental to any possibility of pro rel is the idea that there are owners who understand those risks and are willing to take them i think the number of people who are understanding it and maybe willing to take it is growing and uh, i think as the fan base in this country continues to grow and become uh, even savvier than they are today that they're going to look for it and i think we have to collectively get together and start to think through how this might happen uh, and again i don't expect it something that's going to happen in the next year or two but i don't think we should say it's not going to happen ever or it's not going to happen in the next 20 years because then i think we're missing a real opportunity all right i mean the economy in this country is so massive and we're just scratching the surface of it right now and and you could argue we haven't even scratched the surface but when we put something together that truly uh is is attractive and and, and creates a passion in everyone in this country that number is so big it'll it'll make that uh EPL TV contract look like small potatoes any, but we're not there yeah, we're not there yet fair enough are there any uh do you have any allies on that front i, I don't know if you are going to want to name them individually but do you, have you ha- have you heard from people involved in the top level of the game who who are open to this and and to exploring the notion of of how to make it work not enough okay. but yeah, <laughs> we'll get there i all mean right. this, it's all evolution and to me the time is at least the time is right to at least start to have uh, dialogue and, and think about again i'm repeating myself but how how do you do it or how could you do it rather than why not do it and um you know i think uh we're going to keep talking about it we're going to invite others to come talk to, to us about it and and we'll see what the uh, appetite is here over the next few months all right I, one, one more question I, I i back to the field for just a moment is this the year that uh that an nas nasl team lifts the u.s open cup and do you see that in the Boy, future that'd be, that'd be fantastic uh we have teams that are capable of winning it uh, obviously, you got to go out and play the game, and anything can happen in, in the games. But you know, to put two teams in their quarterfinals last year, and even a couple of our losses were, were pretty unlucky. Uh, we're competitive enough to win that tournament, and it's, it's it's a goal of ours because it's just a great tournament. We love it, and we'd be very proud of a team that did win it. So uh, we'll make a run at it, and we'll see what happens. Right? That's why they play the games. Bill Peterson, Commissioner of the North American Soccer League, joining us here on Soccer Morning. Bill, I appreciate your time and your candor, as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jason. Right, let's Have a great take, day. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to open up the phone lines and do tweets a little early today. It is a Tuesday edition of Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. Thanks again to Bill Peterson for joining us. Always fascinating to chat with Bill Peterson. And, and look, I, I like the guy and his availability. He comes on, he talks about the issues facing his league. He talks about a wider American soccer structure and how we all need to work together. But his appearance on this show and the USL News this morning, and we'll recap that here in a minute, just goes to, uh, to, to, to it, it goes to focus attention again on how the American soccer quote unquote pyramid, which we know does not exist in any fundamental way, is 
I don't know, effed. I don't know what, give me a better word. I'm sorry. Get, hide your kids' ears. Cover your kids' ears. It, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a mess. Say it that way. Now, I, I don't know that a, there's a whole lot of blame. You could argue that when the NASL split from USL a couple years back, that caused a rift that is now uh, being manifest in the way that the USL is approaching things versus the way NASL is, and obviously MLS at the top. We assume MLS at the top. NESL has designs on that spot. I, I'm of the opinion they have a long way to go. I'm sure they think they have a long way to go, but that's their aspiration. So when you hear a discussion like that, what do you make of it? What do you make of USL today and their news? USL has rebranded, USL Pro has rebranded itself as USL. They've introduced a new logo. And perhaps more important or, or most interesting out of that news is that they intend to apply for second division status to U.S. soccer later this year. Now, there are standards, and I need to pull those up. We need to go over those. But what, do you, what do you make of this news? And again, it's awfully, it's awfully easy for NASL to, sign, to sort of stay above the fray. We're not involved in that. We don't really think that there should be division, uh, division status given to, to leagues if there's no promotion and relegation. That's, I, I suppose that's fair. But I do think that they would take a hit. If it's MLS's Division 1, USL's Division 2, where does that leave NASL? That's a rogue league? 347-756-6276 is your phone number. Hit us up on Twitter at Soccer Morning. I'm fascinated by this. It continues to be something that I think holds U.S. soccer, American soccer back. Canadian soccer, too, which is sort of, uh, is sort of a casualty of the whole situation more often than not. I think it would be easy to say, and there were some comments out of, I can't remember who made the comments this past week, but some player, some Canadian player said that MLS doesn't really care about, about Canada. I don't think they're necessarily wrong about that. Should they be? How does NESL take on Canada differently than MLS does? 347-756-6276. Lots of tweets about this this morning. Bill drives traffic. And that's no pun intended, by the way. (laughs) I just realized what I said. Bill Peterson gets people listening. They want to hear from him. And and partly because he takes on those stances like promotion and relegation. Because he's willing to say, our structure is different from MLS and we think it's better. And I have no problem with the debate. There's absolutely room for the debate. It's just a question of when can NASL reach a point where their challenge is more than a name. And you look at the, the number of teams in the league, the markets that they inhabit, the struggles to get on television, and all of those things are, are things that have to improve in order for NASL to, to rise up and be a challenger to MLS. Meanwhile, again, USL doing things. If that's an effectively a reserve league, if half the teams in that league are, are MLS affiliate reserve teams, does that does that merit second division status? NASL also has this issue of clubs leaving their league to go try for MLS. San Antonio may do that. Minnesota may do that. I don't know that Minnesota. I don't know that Minneapolis can support both. They're trying. They're going to try to do it in Atlanta. I guess. I don't know what the future of the Atlanta Silverhawks is. But it has to be up in the air with the new Atlanta team coming into MLS. Tyler in Virginia, what's up? Uh, what's going on, Jay, tonight? 
You know, yeah, America, uh, American soccer is going on, Tyler. It's always going yeah, on. Yeah, tell me about it. I mean, I think the one thing that I just wanted to highlight was, I mean, the fact that this just looks bad for all U.S. soccer. Um, I mean, like Commissioner Peterson was uh, saying, I don't really see how they can kind of let this whole situation fester for a long period of time because, I mean, just like you said earlier, the situation is already kind of negative given the uh, I guess lack of... You know what I mean? Just fluidity between uh, USL Pro and ASL and then up to MLS. So, I mean... I hope to, you know what I mean, see a resolution sooner rather than well, later. What, what, define resolution, Tyler. I mean, that, that gets to the heart of the problem. What exactly is a resolution? MLS does their thing. They're growing the yeah. league as, as they see fit. Lots of issues with that, by the way. And obviously, a, a potential work stoppage would be a major blow to Major League Soccer and their momentum. But uh, th- thanks for the call, Tyler. What, what exactly is a resolution? And whose responsibility is it to figure out a way to get along and work and find a way to integrate? MLS said to USL, hey, we can support you and you can take on some reserve stuff for us. This is a great idea. Uh, Okay, now we're partners here. NASL, meanwhile, is making their own way. So what what responsibility does MLS have to NASL and vice versa? 801, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. Uh, This is Preston from Utah. What's going on, Preston? Uh, So talking about NASL and USL Pro and stuff, first of all, I thought it was really cool how USL rebranded. Their old logo looked very much 90s. Um, and now, I'm going to follow Real Monarchs uh, SLC, mm-hmm. the USL Pro Affiliate of RSL. Um, but, like, for me, NASL might as well not even exist. Like, well, look, there's again, no, there's what Bill's, Bill's got a good point here. 300 million people in this country. Lots, lots of towns that are underserved by by professional soccer. Lots of towns that have some sort of market. Now, the the issue for for lower division soccer in this country, and, and even for MLS in certain places, has always been how do you reach those people? How do you get them to consistently come out and watch your product? How do you figure out a way? Because it's difficult to build a stadium. How do you get them to come out and watch soccer at a high school football venue? How do you get them to come out and how do you make how do you grow a club? When you're working with so many handicaps from the very beginning. And I, as I said to oh, yeah. Bill, my concern is, has always been for teams to just exist, just continue to be something. Don't go away. Don't disappear. That's why I hate relocation. That's why it, it's any chance that, that any team might fold is a, is a mini tragedy for American soccer because you can, you can only burn fan bases so many times before they're going to stop coming out. No, I agree. It's, it's just that, you know, out here, the closest NASL club is, I mean, they're they're expanding in Oklahoma City. I think that's going to be the closest to the the Mountain Mountain West um, region. And well, so, that, yeah. like, I, I'll follow. You know, uh, obviously Miguel Ibarra is a big name in NASL. I follow a little bit of Minnesota United because of him. And you know, I log on to NASL.com every once in a while just to see what's going on. Well, but, yeah, that's more than a lot of people do. Preston, that, that's, that's, true. that's, that's true. more like you got, and, and the Real Monarchs are going to be right there in your backyard. There's some some of these teams are 
Not necessarily. I mean, obviously, we've got the MLS teams that are all sort of right in the backyard of the MLS club. There's a reason for that. Thanks for the call, Preston. I got to move on. There are other places where USL has teams and where it makes sense to have teams. In Oklahoma City, again, I don't know what the NASL future is there. In uh, in Austin, in St. Louis, and I'm missing. Obviously, I'm missing a ton of USL teams here. Um, but NASL has an opportunity to fill a niche as well. It's just a. It's whether or not all of these things can work together in some cohesive way that actually benefits us it's again this is no slide on bill peterson who is working with what he's got but it is easy for people like don garber bill peterson tim holt to say we need to all get along and figure out how to make this the best soccer market possible and look at the potential that we have it's unlimited fine keep saying that but I, until i see some sort of move in those in that direction it's just a bunch of words 904 you're on the air Hey, Jason. How are you doing? This is Jake. What's up, Jake? Hey, um, that's just been a hell of a day. I'm just kind of catching up and waking up to this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I listened, listened to Bill for most of his, uh, most of his interview. And I just, I just, I just think I can tell that he's a little bit up. He's maybe kind of a little bit upset about the whole USL trying to get into division two. And I think it's because he, most of these leagues, most of these teams in USL. Now, I'm not talking about the reserve teams from MLS, but maybe the the older teams that have been around, the Rochester's, the Charleston's, the, the all those teams. Because I'm looking straight at the sanctioning, the the standards that are required to be a Division Two league, and you can't tell me that all those owners for Rochester, for Charleston, mm-hmm. for I'm. Um, Blanking oh, on most of those teams. Big questions for, there. Absolutely big questions there, but I'll say that. That, that meet $20 million I understand. in principle that those owners have to meet. Is I understand. That, is that actually true? Uh, that, those are the standards as I understand them. Now, Jake, the other thing that, I mean, you, you're talking about USL. I wonder about right. NASL. I wonder about NASL, and I failed to, to ask this directly to Bill, and I apologize for that, uh, an oversight on my part. But I'm not sure NASL meets those standards either, and I'm not just talking about in terms of the financial backing of the individual clubs. But if I'm not mistaken, U.S. U.S. Soccer has required that uh, that a second division uh, cover three of the four American time zones. And as I'm looking yes. as I'm looking at the NASL uh, league right now, they don't have anybody in the in the Western time zone. They don't have anybody uh, west of the Rockies. Now I don't know is Edmonton in the in the Rocky uh, sorry in the Mountain time zone. I, I don't know. Maybe that counts. I, I, and there's a certain level of teams that have to be in the United States, seventy five percent, I believe. And then there's and then those those financial standards and and again I don't have them in front of me so I apologize for not referencing them referencing them specifically but there is I, a I question do, I do right now okay well Jake I, I just I, there's there is a question over whether anybody can meet those standards and even then as Bill said I mean this is a this is a salient point why does it matter if you not if you're not moving teams between divisions why does it matter what in, what import does it have on your league or on your operation if you're called second division or third division or fourth division. Now, the only thing that you have to be sure of if you're the NESL is that you maintain some sh- you maintain U.S. sanctioning, period, because otherwise you're outside of FIFA guidelines, which makes your players ineligible for international competition, and then you have a mass exodus. So I don't think that's, I don't, I think that's an issue for NESL. I think they're going to be sanctioned. It's just whether or not they care to be sanctioned second division, third division, fourth division, and and there is look there's something to be said for Peterson's mandate for US soccer to figure out why it matters and what the, the what the structure needs to look like in order to I don't know satisfy everybody involved so we can all have these teams just continue to play games. 
Yeah. Yeah. No got question. Got anything else, man? Something definitely U.S. soccer has to has to figure out here because this is just getting quite ridiculous here. Yep. Appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. No problem. All right. Four zero four. You're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's Cam from Atlanta. How you doing? What's going on, man? Hey, partner. Listen, I just want to weigh in on uh, the conversation. Although I appreciate uh, Bill Peterson's uh, input, you know, the fact is is that we are standing at a historical moment. We are seeing expansion at the Division Three level at USL Pro. There's more club soccer um, ownership and investment across the board in the United States than I can remember in 30 years. I've been watching soccer for at least the last 25, mm-hmm. and where we were seeing a lot of retraction with this announcement of the partnership between MLS and USL Pro and the launch of this brand-new website um, and this new initiative as we go into the 2015 season, USL Pro is growing. Fans eventually will be t- turning out. These, co- these uh, clubs wouldn't exist if there weren't fans in those markets who demand to be serviced. Well, and hopefully my, my thought is that you know, the ownership will try to offer the fans a world-class fan experience that will keep them coming back. Yes. And frankly, in any in ASL, they need to step up to the plate in their ownership and spend marketing dollars that excite the fans. That's what's going to continue to help it grow. U.S. soccer is growing in this country more so than at any other time in its history. Am I wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're right that we are standing in a, in a historical moment. I mean, this is... But again, I mean, it's the same issues, and, and veterans of American soccer from 25, 30 years ago will tell you it's the same issues that popped up, and we continue to have these alphabet leagues that come and go. Now, in, in, in this sense, the reason U.S. soccer has these standards in place and the reason that they want to sanction leagues on the second division, third division basis, or sanction them, period, is so that they can be sure that these teams aren't going to be fly-by-night operations. Go oh, to- of course, and it's designed actually to protect the fans because if you have owners who don't have the deep pockets to meet the requirements to sustain a team or the league for three or more years, they don't need to be in the business of soccer. That's designed to protect us, the consumer. Right. We don't want to be in a team, spend money on season tickets, and have the, t- the, the team fold mid-season. What I love about what has happened since Major League Soccer and their billionaire investors have stepped up, and with the idea of investing in youth development, by going to the USL saying, hey, we're going to do away with our MLS Reserve League, and you know, you, we will help you expand if you can help partner with us, is that we're going to see major infrastructure improvement. Mm-hmm. The Monarchs are a prime example of a team, and Toronto uh, in Canada with their T2 team, of investing in stadiums. I mean, yeah. who else is doing that? Yeah. No, sta- I think <clears throat> more than anything else, stadium growth is, is, the, is the measuring stick for American soccer for me. Now, you can have a billion teams. I don't care if you have a billion teams because I know they're not going to all last. But if you have the infrastructure in place, you at least guarantee that there's a, an opportunity to build on any sort of initial momentum. That's why I think it's important for Indi- Indianapolis to get their stadium. As you mentioned, the Ra- Real Monarchs to build a place for their reserve team. I think uh, Deloy Hansen stepping up to the plate, and that's fantastic. There's, there's other places. You obviously have... Um, you obviously have the situation in Carolina where they've had their stadium for a long time. That's helped them. Even if they can't compete on an MLS uh, level in terms of quality, you know there's going to be a team there because there's a place for them to play. 
Sure, and to use that as an example, Blackbaud Stadium has the Three Lions Club that's consistently recognized as a wonderful place, one of the best pub stadium um, experiences for fans to enjoy in the country. And ultimately what this will allow uh, in U.S. soccer is stability. That stability will allow us to grow young talent, U-17, U-20, U-23. That's ultimately where we should be looking to invest because once we grow young players, those clubs can then sell those players on the international market or even domestically and generate new revenue. Mm. That benefits the club. That benefits the fans. Now the guys on the national team, we can see playing here in one of the in, in the U.S. soccer pyramid. To me, that's win-win, Jason. Yeah. I mean, Scott. I mean, Steve. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate <laughs> what you, uh, you you what you're doing. But you know. Those are, to me, when I see investment and growth, I think it's a positive thing for U.S. soccer. Okay. Thanks, uh, thanks, hey, for thanks man. Call. Have a good one. There Take you go. Care. Just to clarify on the time zone requirement for D2, this is from our, our friend Neil Morris down in, in North Carolina. D2 is supposed to be Pacific time zone by year six of existence. That would be 2016 or 2017 for the NASL. So in order to meet that standard, they have to get there by year six. So that's, there's a little bit of time left, obviously, for M, uh, for uh, NASL to figure that out. We've look. If you're if you're confused by all of these things, then I I think that right there speaks to some of the issues that exist in American soccer. Again, I don't necessarily blame MLS for pushing putting forth a single entity system back in 1996 in order to protect themselves uh, as they attempted to make. First Division soccer work in the United States again to, to meet the FIFA requirement. I don't necessarily blame those owners. Now, we can have an argument if 20 years later that system benefits American soccer. We can also have an argument about whether or not a second division or third division or whatever they want to call themselves or not call themselves can exist, needs to exist, has to exist in certain ways that are opposed to the way MLS operates. If it's better for NESL to to forge their own path, or if there needs to be some sort of back and forth with MLS. In in terms of a promotion and relegation, of course. That should always there's no argument that promotion and relegation should always be on the table as a point of discussion. That's not the issue. Continue to, to discuss it. Continue to bring it up. It absolutely should be considered as American soccer grows. Whether the time is right for it now, that's a different debate for me. Continue to say, I would love to have Pro-Rel here. If I thought American soccer could, could, could uh, sustain Pro-Rel, I'd say do it tomorrow. That's not my opinion. That's, not, that's not, certainly not the opinion of people that are in charge at MLS. And, and perhaps they never want to see it. And again, the question I asked Bill Peterson about the current and coming and, and the owners that are coming into the league the younger ownership groups who have entered MLS recently, whether or not they would be open to the idea of promotion relegation, I think that's an important one because you're going to need some sort of group that would vote in favor of that in order to make it. It just can't happen one day and magically snap your fingers. If, if FIFA came in and said, we're going to pull your sanctioning as a, as a league, if you don't institute pro-rel, okay, maybe it would happen. FIFA's not going to do that. It is actually, and so that's sort of addressed, perhaps not the issue of pro-rel, 
But some of the differences in the way MLS operates are addressed in that column I discussed about, or I mentioned about Grant from Grant Wall, excuse me, at Sports Illustrated in regards to U.S. soccer backing Prince Ali in the FIFA presidential candidate uh, in FIFA presidential election. Because if if you are fearful of retribution from Sepp Blatter, should he win? then maybe those dominoes start to fall. If, if, if Sepp Blatter is pissed that U.S. soccer nominated Prince Ali for FIFA president, and then he goes on to win, as I expect him to, then you wonder about retribution. Maybe FIFA starts to put pressure on MLS to change the calendar or change the way that it's structured because of contracts or changes just anything. Anything that MLS does differently that is, nor- that is outside the norm if they start to put pressure on MLS for those issues, and again, the reason FIFA, when everybody, when anybody calls into, uh, it calls FIFA into uh, the discussion about the way MLS uh, operates and how it violates certain FIFA laws, remember that the CBA supersedes those issues. As long as there is a union of, of MLS players who collectively bargain with the owners on those issues, FIFA does not have the grounds to come in and say, you're not doing this right. We're taking away your sanction. Because even FIFA has to respect on some level the national laws of the countries in which they provide sanctioning. They can't just run around the, the, the world saying, you're not doing that the way we want you to if there are laws in place that dictate those relationships. Three four seven seven five six. Six two seven six. You got thoughts on this? You want to jump in again? I I, I want to see ML, ML uh, sorry NASL grow and succeed because I, a stronger ah one A division, two division, whatever you want to call. It. Here here's the problem. This is why we need these. This is why we need these names and these designations so we can actually have a discussion. Because then you have to bounce around uh, different ways of identifying. But, the, but American soccer definitely needs a strong league like NASL that's playing in not only major markets like New York, but in mid-level markets like Jacksonville. MLS is never going to go to Jacksonville. It's just not. There's a certain build-out to MLS. Whether it's 24 or 30, I don't know yet. I think 30 is unwieldy, and they should be very careful. And if they do that, then we're talking about league structure and two different divisions and playing within your or two with two different conferences and playing only within your conference during the regular season. That stuff is for down the road. And MLS may head in that direction. But MLS is never going to Jacksonville. MLS is never going to Oklahoma City. Well, maybe not. I guess they do have an NBA team. Somehow they pulled that off. No offense, Oklahoma City. So there is room for this league. Absolutely. No one's questioning that. The problems that we come to, and again, this is stuff that's been happening for 30 years, is that there's always infighting. There's always turf wars. There's always provincial attitudes about who should be in charge and who should be dictating what. We do it this way. They do it that way. Our way is better. And then we end up cannibalizing each other or be in a rush to fill out a league roster of teams owners are in are, are given clubs who don't deserve to have clubs who don't have the financial wherewithal to support those clubs i pulled up the defunct american soccer clubs page on wikipedia the list 
Now, some of these go back, you know, 80, 90 years. Some of these are NASL, NASL 1.0 clubs, which you may or may not want to consider. But certainly back then, there was a rush to expand, giving teams to owners who didn't have enough money, operating for a year or two, then having to move or fold or join up with another team just to stay involved. But there's just in the last 20 years, a litany of clubs who have come and gone at the lower division and you had two in MLS because somebody acted stupid, because there wasn't enough money, because they didn't know how to market correctly. All of these issues are still in play. Yes, the market is growing. Yes, we're now watching the Premier League and millions uh, millions of people are watching the Premier League and MLS ratings are slightly growing and there's a lot of uh, demand for MLS expansion teams and demand for NASL expansion teams. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean it's all gone away and it all can't happen again. Plenty of teams have had 10,000 people in their stadiums every week and still folded. That still happened. 508, sorry, 503, you're on the air. Hey, this is Matt. How's it going? What's up, Matt? Hey, um, I just want to say real quick, um, you know, first off, I totally share your skepticism about, um, you know, how realistic pro really is anytime in the short, you know, anytime like the short term. But I do agree with one thing Peterson said, which is the real value of it is it creates a situation where, you know, fans in like smaller cities and small towns sort of feel like they're part of the process and are a lot more invested. And, you know, my biggest concern about Major League Soccer in the long term is that if you're not in a city where there's a team, there's really no good reason for you to pay attention to the league. You know, I mean, it's, it's just as easy to turn on your TV and watch European soccer on the weekends. And sure. if you don't have that sort of emotional tie-in mm-hmm. to a team, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned that in the long term, people are going to keep paying attention to it. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I still feel like if there's a way they can integrate the lower divisions in somehow, you know, in like the postseason or something, I think that has a lot of value. You know, maybe don't look toward the pro, the pro L model, maybe look toward, you know, what we do with college sports. I don't know where you've got, you know, some some leagues that we know are better than other leagues, and that's okay because at the end of the day, they're sort of all competing within the same system. I don't know. But I, I, it just seems like they've got to find a way to make that work. Well, okay, look. Um, by the way, I've, I've pissed off everybody in Jacksonville, so I apologize, apologies to Jacksonville. <laughs> I, I just mean that in terms of what's happening now with MLS – they're they're already at they're already at twenty two twenty three teams very shortly should should Miami come together San Antonio's in the mix Minnesota's in the mix Sacramento's in the mix and and I said they're never going to Jacksonville I didn't mean that that Jacksonville's not an MLS market I meant by the time MLS gets around to the notion of Jacksonville at this point there's going to be thirty teams in the league already or there'll be twenty six and and there won't be re- room for that's uh, just get. Jacksonville needs to calm down a little bit. Um, yeah. I apologize for, for dissing your city, but I, I just mean in practical terms it's unlikely. It, it, when we talk about the, the notion of fans being involved and, and needing that emotional connection, the, the issue is, is obviously trying to sell what is not a quote-unquote Major League product. And you can argue about MLS and whether exactly. it's Major League or not if you want, but it's certainly, ma- it's certainly the top level in this country. It, it, mm-hmm. It's the issue of selling that product to, to people who are not used to it. Even, the, even people who live in the vast swaths of the country that don't have NFL are watching the NFL, right? Right. Right, and why are, they, that, why are they doing that? Because that's the top well, level. I, there's, nothing, there's nothing else. They don't, have, they don't have a team for six hours. Or they'll drive. People from Nebraska will drive six hours to get to Kansas City to watch a game. MLS, right. MLS probably is never going to get there. So you're right in the sense that there needs to be a local engagement. 
Do you, mm-hmm. do, do you believe, do you honestly believe that people in smaller, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm saying non NFL size markets, non major markets, need to know that their team can one day reach the top level in order to be invested in that team? I, I, I actually, I actually sort of do feel like that. I mean, not, not necessarily in the sense of playing the top division. I mean, I think it's fine to say, hey, MLS, you can go and do your single entity thing, and that's great. And NASL, hey, do your Wild West, we don't have salary caps thing, that's great. I think that's fine as long as, at the end of the day, the fans feel like, you know, there's some way that we have a chance, you know, that, that you can have sort of like the Boise State syndrome where, yeah, we're playing in this crappy conference. Everybody knows our conference is pretty weak. But if we win all our games, at the end of the year, we get a shot at the big boys. You know, I, I wonder if rather than talking about pro-rel, what we shouldn't be talking about is scrapping the MLS playoffs and trying to find a way to have a unified playoff system. Mm. You know, let the leagues do what they want to do. Let the regular season be what it wants to be. But sort of pull everybody. You know, because, I mean, the one thing we've seen in U.S. sports historically is that every time with baseball, with football, with basketball, every time a lower league, if they survive long enough, you know, if they can get through 20 years and people are actually paying attention, eventually the fans demand that you find some way to pull all this stuff together because American fans don't seem to want to put up with separate leagues just doing their own thing forever and then having this sort of unsatisfying end of the season where you can never really say who was the best team. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like if NASL survives... Uh, eventually they're going to have to deal with it. You know, and maybe they won't. Maybe NASL will be gone in five years. Well, again, I, I, think, I think the uh, this is the question I asked earlier. What responsibility does MLS have to NASL and vice versa? Obviously, NASL is aspirational. Right. They want to charge up, you know, they want to charge up the relevant scale and, and, and make people right. pay attention to them. So, therefore, do you put the impetus on NASL to figure out how to make them inject themselves into that conversation yep. on a national basis? Or do you say, well, MLS has a responsibility because of the... Uh, because of how soccer operates around yeah. the world, to somehow integrate themselves with NASL, even if it's as you said, everybody does their own league season, the the teams stay static, but we have some sort of integrated playoff at the end of yeah. the year. Uh, that that may be something. It just it seems very unwieldy to me in my head right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think MLS is ever going to want to do it. I think MLS wants to do the NFL model. I mean, I think that's what they truly want to do, and they want for people to be following teams that are six hours away from them. I just don't think that's realistic. You know, NASL is going to have to force themselves into the conversation. I don't see that Major League Soccer is ever going to voluntarily say, oh, yeah, guys, please come join us. We'd like to share our money with you. And that's just, you know, they're not going to want to do it. But I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think it would be better for professional soccer in the United States in a broader context. And in, and in the long term, I think it makes sense because if you are a fan of a smaller team, if you're a fan of Indy 11, and you feel like you're sort of part of this larger system, eventually you're going to start paying attention to the top division because it's the top division, you know? Mm-hmm. And you feel like, hey, you know, maybe we'll have to play these guys someday, and, oh, yeah, we had this guy who played for us last year, and now he's moved on to some MLS team. You know, you'll sort of pay attention if you feel like it's part of your system, I think. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, NASL is going to have to inject themselves into it. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, look, not going to fight them. Michael on Twitter says, thanks for the call, man, it says that that, that caller essentially brought up you know, Sisley argued for the existence of the U.S. Open Cup. Now, the U.S. Open Cup is one place for that interleague competition to happen, but I think what we're what he's establishing is something closer to the feel of of you know multi you know multiple team. I, I don't even know. I, I I guess that's what you're arguing for on one level, but the U.S. Open Cup doesn't have the feel 
of big time competition. Now that's on MLS. It's on US soccer. It's on look, the NASL takes it seriously because they wanted to use it as a, a way to prove themselves in terms of quality of their teams and potentially to get into the CONCACAF Champions League. But I I think what he's suggesting is something outside of that. So I you know, again, there there are a lot of ways to look at how this is going to have to happen down the down the road. For the time being, what we've got is MLS has yet to finish itself. It's it's not a finished product yet. It will never be a finished product in terms of marketing and and relevance and getting people to pay attention. It may not at least not in our lifetimes. But it will certainly need to be a finished product in terms of the number of teams that it has and the another number of cities that it inhabits. Once that happens, maybe then we can start to figure out exactly how this whole thing is going to shake out at the, at the end and how these leagues are going to to, to operate together on some level rather than in opposition to one another. And, and it's difficult to even say whether MLS is in competition with NASL or vice versa. It doesn't benefit anybody for these leagues to be competing against each other. They, they, maybe they'll compete against each other for players. It doesn't seem that they, that's happening on a big level yet. You don't see a lot of MLS guys turning down the opportunity to re-sign with their clubs because they're going to go to play in NASL. And if they do that, the perception is that they're stepping down a level. They had to go to NASL. They didn't have any other options. That's what NASL has to change. They're working to do so. But that until that until that takes effect, until you hear this guy's got an uh, got a, a uh, an offer from now in terms of the big names, that may be happening a little bit. The Cosmos are certainly involved in the race to sign certain players. When Steven Gerrard is linked to the Cosmos and the Galaxy. That's some that, that that falls in line with the notion that the NASL is trying to compete with for the same players as MLS, but we know the Cosmos are an outlier in the NASL. So until until you have those mid-level teams going for the same players, NASL is clearly behind MLS. And at what point do we say, well, it's getting close enough that now we have to address the issue? It's it's, it's a complicated mess of a situation. And, and, and I'm not even sure that we're in a better place than we were 15 years ago when it was just USL1 and MLS. I'm, I'm not positive about that. It's, it's got to be sorted at some point. When will that happen? I don't know. All right, last call for phone calls, 347-756-6276. You have some thoughts on this. The, the, what we can establish and what we can all agree on is that there are lots of soccer fans in this country, many of them who would like to have their own team in their backyard, somebody that they can support. The ultimate question is whether or not they would continue to do so after some initial excitement over the arrival of a team if that team does not have the ability to move up into the top division. MLS clubs, are they because they are protected from relegation? Are they less likely to do the right thing to improve their teams? Are owners less likely to spend money? There are certainly in this league owners who are reticent to shell out the cash because they're just dumping it down a hole. If they had relegation hanging over their heads, what would they do? It's a fundamental question here. And I think a fundamental question for American soccer fans continues to be whether or not in order to compete on an international level with the rest of the world, meaning in order for American soccer 
to be on the same level as England or Spain or Italy or France or even Brazil, we have to have pro-well. Is it an imperative to have pro-well? That's your question. Write down your answers and call me tomorrow. (laughs) We'll do that. We'll take all of those tomorrow. Thank again. Thanks again to Bill Peterson, commissioner of the NASL, for his time today. Go to backheel.com slash store. Buy a mug and a T-shirt. And then go to 3 Nail FC and buy a Soccer Morning t-shirt exclusively at 3NailFC.com. Thanks to all the callers today. You guys were brilliant. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Hit us up on iTunes with a rating and a review. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye. Motel alone. Their corporate says we